And then we see in verse 52 that the servant, he prays for the third time, right? So in this chapter, uh, the servant is, is praying, has this you know, intimacy with God. We're live. What's up, peeps? We are back at it with Genesis chapter 24. Let's just dive in head first. Okay. Chapter 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. So here we see that... Abraham is older, uh, it tells us he's advanced in age, and so he's needing to start making arrangements uh, for Isaac, for Isaac to get a wife, and he does not want Isaac to have a wife from the land of Canaan, but wants uh, Isaac's wife to be from his own uh, family tribe, and so he sends his most trusted servant um, back to his, where he was from, where his relatives still are, to find a wife for Isaac. And so he has the servant promise him and then kind of reiterates how he, want, he doesn't want Isaac to go back there because this is the land of promise where him and Abraham are at, but he wants the servant to go back there and then bring a wife back. And so he makes the servant take an oath. And if the servant can't find a wife then the cert for Isaac then the oath will be just void voided so as we see uh, just in this first paragraph we see that the next stage of promise is finding a wife for Isaac because we have the idea that God promised Abraham the blessing for his descendants so now that Abraham has had a child it's time for Isaac to get married and have a child so that this promise can continue to be fulfilled. And so we continue to see really strong faith in Abraham here. I believe that Abraham had faith and that God was going to come through in this situation. I believe that's why Abraham told the servant that if the woman's not willing to return with him, then he's free from the oath. And I believe he said that because he trusted God to deliver on lead guiding the servant to find someone. And so this servant appears to be Eliezer, who had been very loyal to Abraham. And one of the things when you study 
ancient Near Eastern culture is that there was this idea of like putting the hand under the thigh as was like this oath or serious uh, promise in, in their custom. And also we see at the end of Genesis in Genesis 47 that Jacob had Joseph do this as well, put his hand under his thigh in order to make a promise. So we see kind of two things here. We see Abraham trusting in God's providence that that God would bless Abraham's seed and that would make his descendants more numerous than the stars, but also, or as numerous as the stars, but also we see that there's this human responsibility. Like we can't just take God's promises by faith and then not do anything, not act. And so Abraham with very legitimate faith is still acting, is still telling Eliezer what to do. Yeah, absolutely. And in reference to Eliezer, if you want to go back and um, learn about where Eliezer's first introduced in the in Genesis, you can go back to chapter 15. And the reference to Eliezer is when Abraham is concerned about his future heir. And he names Eliezer to be his future heir because Abraham at this point doesn't have a son. And so no one will take on, no no biological son of his will, will take on his inheritance, which is very, 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 very important to uh, people now, but much more so back in the, uh, during this time. This whole thing is incredibly important to Abraham. So we know that, that whoever this is, is an extremely trusted servant. Abraham is advanced in years, and this section actually goes over to both of the covenant promises, both with ancestors, descendants, and land. And so that's what Abraham's really thinking about. And so he's not going to leave this task up to just any old Joe Schmo. He's going to leave it up to his absolute best, as outlined the oldest of his household, likely his most trusted. And so obviously the reference to descendants here is Isaac, you know, taking a wife and having kids through that wife. So that's the reference to descendants and making sure that he doesn't take a descendant from the Canaanites who uh, likely um, almost definitely worshiped false gods. And so that would have not been a good thing for uh, his future descendants. And also the reference to the land is Eliezer. Abraham doesn't want Eliezer to, I mean, we think it's Eliezer. Let's just call him the servant though. Okay. We don't know for sure it's Eliezer. So we're going to call him the, the, the servant. The reference to land is when Abraham specifically says not to take his son, Isaac to this land, the promise is in the land that they're already at. They're already there. And so Abraham doesn't want Isaac to go anywhere else, maybe be enticed by whatever that land looks like and get roped into leaving the promised land. And so that's really the reference to the to the land part of the covenant. Um, with regards to the importance of this, the servant is is... Because the servant knows how important this is to Abraham, you actually find something I think very interesting in which 
The servant doesn't want to overpromise and underdeliver. The servant wants to fulfill this oath that his master is ultimately asking him to fulfill. And so the servant specifically adds a bit of a clause in here such that if he is not able to complete this duty by going to Abraham's home homeland, then the servant's kind of off the hook because the servant doesn't know 100% for sure, for fact, that he's going to be able to complete all this. And so I think that's very wise, adding a clause like that, because you never want to make an oath that you're not ultimately able to accomplish. I think, you know, these days, especially, right, people make a lot of commitments, but they don't follow up with them. Um, I think we find that, you know, sometimes promises are a bit cheap. And I don't think with this type of promise that the servant's making, he doesn't want this to be a cheap promise. Of course, Abraham responds, you know, essentially, don't worry about this. God will send an angel before you, uh, basically to make sure that you're, you're successful. So a lot of really great stuff here. It doesn't say somewhere in this chapter that it's Eliezer. No, it doesn't. We don't know this for a fact. Oh, okay. yeah, this is this is a bit of a mystery. I mean, we don't know for sure. We speculate because of the previous chapters. Anyways, that's all I have to say on that paragraph. Verse 10. Then the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his masters in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. He said, Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, may it be that the girl to whom I say, Please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. I think it's really cool that Eli or this servant has a relationship with God uh, on his own, like clearly. And so he talks about God of my master. This points to Yahweh, uh, the God of the Bible. Mm. And so the the servant's request to God, I, I like it because it was both unique and reasonable. It was unique enough to distinguish um, God's guidance, but also reasonable in the fact that it was it was plausible to happen. Right? He wasn't asking God to to work some miracle. I mean, it, it was God is supernatural guiding him right so someone could say that's that's a lot like a miracle but it, it was just i think it's discerning as far as application um it, it, i just see a lot of the servant have a lot of discernment and so the servant was asking for guidance right so this servant i believe prays three times in this chapter for god's help and he's he's asking for guidance but also trusting god the servant also showed strategy in the fact that he went to 
the well where these young women would go. So if he's looking for a younger single woman for Isaac, you need to go to the place where younger single women are going to be. And so we see just discernment in, in the servant that he goes there. Um, I'll just add that the servant's clearly bringing a lot of stuff. And so I think it would be pretty obvious to whoever's at this well that we got some foreigners in the area and these guys are wealthy. Um, that's the impression that I'm getting from them bringing a variety of good from his masters in his hand. So obviously also, I mean, they traveled a very, very long way to get here. This was no uh, quick trip to your local watering hole. Um, this is a distance. They're traveling a long way. When you travel that far, you definitely want to see some success. And I highly recommend you pray whenever, <laughs> before you leave on your way and when you get there, because you don't want to go all the way there and it'd be a failed trip. All right. Verse 15. I will do this one. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for all all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. Verse 22. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrist, weighing 10 shekels in gold, and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. He said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way of the house of my master's brothers. Do you want to summarize what just happened, Justin? Yes, I do. So now we're introduced to Rebecca and um, we're told about her, her beauty and purity. And we see that she comes out to the well to get the water and, or she comes out to get the water and it, it, it occurs exactly how the servant had asked God for it to occur. And we see that she, she got water for 
the servants can't camels as well. And so then after the camels finished drinking, uh, the man felt like he had confirmed, the servant felt like he had confirmed. So he gave Rebecca some items of jewelry and then asked about who she was, her identity, and then asked about the opportunity to stay in her family's house. And uh, we see that Rebecca had invited him to come to her family's house as well. And so, you know, just one of the things we see Rebecca's servant heart revealed in this section because camels drink a lot of water. So giving a stranger a drink of water may not have been a huge deal, but watering a group of camels that he brought would have been a very, would have been a lot of work because camels drink a lot and they had traveled a far distance. Yeah, that was a lot of work. She was... And I'm guessing these weren't very light jars. You know, whenever you traveled all the way to the well, went back to your house, I'm guessing you wanted to make as few trips as possible. So these are probably pretty heavy. Thing. I mean, Rebecca must have been, a. I imagine a lot of women back then, right, had to be pretty strong to do some of the tasks like these. Um, a couple things also to note here. If we recall... There's two criteria here, okay? The first criteria was the servant's criteria. And then we have Abraham's criteria too. So that's servant's criteria number one, Abraham's criteria number two. So the servant's criteria was a prayer to God that this woman would not only offer him a drink, but offers camels a drink as well. He's got 10 camels. That's a lot of drinking, as you mentioned. Camels are known for being able to store a bunch of water. I don't know if it's in the camel's hump or not. I thought I remember reading something like that. That could just be a myth. Don't answer that. Don't study that before you answer that on the animal zoology test that y'all have coming up. Um, the, but the number two criteria, and so she does that, she accomplished that. The number two cri criteria is that this woman be of the relatives of Abraham. And so, to so as soon as she says, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, this is in verse 24. She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then verse 26, then the man, aka the servant, bowed low and worshiped the Lord. Okay, it seems like, I mean, he's just dropping to the floor, you know, right in front of her. He said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brother. He, as soon as he finds that out, it's like not only did she do the watering of him and the camels, but she also happens to be a relative of Abraham. That's insane. So he immediately goes nuts. Okay. He immediately is super stoked and drops the floor and immediately worships God in that moment. I don't know. I think that's pretty exciting. Um, 
it's just double confirmation. It's double confirmation of, of her being the right one, which whenever you travel, it's like he traveled all the way there. <laughs> and then as soon as he gets to this well, immediately finds her like God didn't, God didn't make um, him linger very often. The servant linger. So I thought that was really, really cool. Um, Verse 28. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban read outside to the man at the spring. When he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of Rebecca, his sister sang, this is what the man said to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man entered the house. Then Laban unloaded the camels and he gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. But when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. And he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. Now, Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age, and he has given him all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites and whose land I live, but you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, suppose the woman does not follow me. He said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you to make your journey successful. And you will take a wife for my son, from my relatives, and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath. When you come to my relatives, and if they do not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So basically, there's a meeting in which Rebecca introduces her family to the servant. And the servant basically goes over how he came to come here and kind of retells the story that we kind of just read. And so a couple of interesting things is we have a brother of Rebecca, Laban, and Laban, not Rebecca's father, but Laban, her brother, seems to be interacting with the servant. And so there's some potential indication that maybe Rebecca's father was either the, either not there, maybe he had passed away, or perhaps he was too old to make these types of decisions. And so it seems that Laban is kind of having more, have, being the one who's doing this interaction as opposed to um, Rebecca's father. I had also read that in some of the ancient Near Eastern cultures, it could be common for a brother to negotiate his sister's engagement. Mm. Um, 
as part of the family responsibility. But we do see here that both Rebecca and her family are very hospitable. They're very nice that they take, take in the servant, uh, feed him, take care of his camels, and, and they do all those things um, that reveal their hospitality. Verse 32, so the man entered the house, then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the man who were with him. And so, yeah, definitely extremely hospitable. And obviously you kind of see that trait within uh, Rebecca as well, you know? And so it seems like the family kind of has this... Um, similar traits to Abraham and perhaps Lot, as opposed to the people of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? They weren't very hospitable. So um, it seems that hospitality runs in this family. And I think you also see the servant. The servant doesn't want to waste any time, okay? Verse 33, but when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I've told my business. And so he just jumped straight into it. He doesn't want to wait long. He's just jumping straight, straight into all this. And you'll see in, in subsequent chap, subsequent sections of this chapter that the servant is, is a bit in a hurry. Obviously, it took him a long time to get to this particular area. His master is old, you know is advanced in age as it says earlier and so i wonder if maybe the servant is is wanting to perform this task very quickly such that abraham can meet isaac isaac's future wife before abraham passes so we don't fully know the condition of abraham all we just know is that he was advanced in age as it says in verse one any other thoughts on the section before we move on to verse 42 no, I think you nailed it. Okay. Verse 42. So I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, if now you will make my journey on which I go successful, behold, I am standing by the spring, and may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw, and to whom I say, please let me drink a little water from your jar, and she will say to me, you drink, and I will draw for your cameras also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. So this section is just continuing to repeat the story of basically how they came to be here. Verse 45, before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder and went down to the spring and drew. And I said to her, please let me drink. Verse 46, she quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I will water your camels also. So I drank and she watered the camels also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. And I bowed low and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So now if you're going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, let me, 
let me know that I may turn to the right hand or the left. I think the point that point of this all this is right. This must be all kind of confusing, right, to Rebecca's family. It's like, who is this guy, right? He's bringing a bunch of camels and a bunch of stuff, and all of a sudden he's coming here. He just met his daughter, and all of a sudden he's trying to stay. I mean, he just met he just met Laban's sister, and he's coming to Laban. He's staying in their house, and he's sharing. I mean, he has to give some type of context, so he's just sharing everything in order to help the family understand what they're even doing here to begin with verse 50 then laban and bethuel replied the matter comes from the lord so we cannot speak to you bad or good here's rebecca before you take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the lord has spoken verse 52 when abraham's servant heard their words he bowed himself to the ground before the lord the servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they rose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days, say 10. Afterward, she may go. He said to them, do not delay me since the lord has prospered my way send me away that i may go to my master and they said we will call the girl and consult her wishes then they called rebecca and said to her will you go away with this man and she said i will go thus they sent away their sister rebecca and her nurse with abraham's servant and his men they blessed rebecca and said to her May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebecca arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. A lot going on here. Um, real quick to summarize, um, they were obviously earlier. The servant repeats basically and tells Laban how they got here to begin with and, and ask to ultimately take Rebecca to be the wife of Abraham's son, Isaac. And they say, sure, this is from the Lord. They hang out. The servant gives all this super nice stuff to Rebecca and also to the brother and to Rebecca's mother. And the servant spends one night there with the family and immediately the next morning asked to go. And the family's like, hold on, maybe not quite yet. You know, let's spend a few days. We just met you and we want to spend some time with Rebecca before she leaves. That's what I'm thinking in my head, right? It doesn't say that, but I'm thinking. I'm thinking in their head. It's like, hey, just hold on. Let, let's let give us some time. And the servant says, I can't wait. Basically, let, I, I want to go now. And then they consult uh, Rebecca and basically say, Hey, Rebecca, do you want to go with this man? She says, Yes, I will go. And they bless Rebecca on her way out. Justin, thoughts? Yeah, I think it's really cool that the bond. 
recognizes, hey, this is this is God's doing. Because we don't know, I feel like we don't know much about Laban's spiritual state. We know that he's better than the Canaanites, right? But I don't know, like, does he have a personal relationship with Yahweh? Like, I don't know, but he recognizes that this is from God. And then we see in verse 52 that the servant, he prays for the third time, right? So in this chapter, uh, the servant is is praying, has this, you know, intimacy with God. And then we see the servant gives Rebecca, but then Laban, uh, and then her mother, the family stuff. And so it was common in the ancient Near East to to pay a bride price um, for when, when the woman, a young woman was going to marry uh, someone. So, and, you know, they're at the uh, when it said, may our sister, may you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands. This was a good, you know, obviously they, they wanted her to be blessed. But I think that even among their hopes for her, I, I don't think any of them fully understood what, what awaited her, you know, and how cool it was that she got to be a part of uh, this lineage The you know, that was the God that of the people that the God of Abraham and Isaac used, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. just the fact that we're reading about her thousands of years later. And um, yeah, this is, this, it, it's such a cool thing. But in that moment, I'm sure that she didn't understand the weight of what was going on and what was going to happen. Agreed. And, you know, sending your daughter off or your sister off with, you know, strangers seems like it could be a hard thing um and maybe you'd have a little bit of hesitancy there but these aren't really strangers right i mean these are the they're strangers in a sense but these are relatives of you know their grandfather essentially or their great-grandfather you know this is abraham so this is these are people these aren't just random people right these are these are people they know so i think they got some comfort likely knowing that not only that um, you know, it seems like they were all believers in this sense. Um, Laban and Bethuel replied in verse 51, the, the matter comes from the Lord. So they're believers in this case, and I'm sure they're likely praying in these moments as well to make sure they're making the right move here. Um, they consult Rebecca as well, and Rebecca, believing this is also from God, is um, being kind of faithful in this matter as well. And so this, I just see all this kind of being a bit of a scary moment, um, potentially, but they're putting their trust in God and they're taking a, um, a leap of faith, a step in this direction because there's good, there's good evidence, you know, for everything that's kind of going on right now. Uh, let's get into verse 62. You want to read that? Yep. Verse 62, now Isaac had come from going to Bir Laha Roy, for he was living in the Negev. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to her servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said to her, he is my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into 
his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So we see the closing of this chapter here that Isaac was back there waiting on them, and the servant and Rebecca arrived. They saw each other. Then they got married and loved each other. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but there, one of the things, though, I, I, I saw, there's, there seems to be four main actors in this, this chapter. We have God who, who providentially carried out everything, everything according to his promise. Then we also have Abraham, who made the preparations uh, for this trip based on his faith in God, right? Abraham had faith that his servant would find a wife for Isaac and that this would be how God carried out his promises. Then we see the servant who did the work of traveling and searching for the woman who would marry Isaac. Then we see Rebecca who responds uh, to, to what God was doing in a potentially difficult situation for her to just have this guy show up and then say, yeah, I'll leave with you and marry this guy. So those are, we, we see very good biblical principle examples in Abraham, the servant, and Rebecca, and how they responded to God. Like, obviously, God is sovereign, and nothing is going to hinder his will, but there is human responsibility, and we need to be doing like Abraham did. We need to be making preparations uh, for the future on based on what God has called us to do. We need to be doing like the servant. We need to be responding and, and acting in the moment. Or, or we need to be doing the work and acting in the moment. And then we need to do what Rebecca did and respond to God in faith. Maybe at times when we weren't expecting something. Yeah. I also, one thing we can learn about Isaac here, uh, verse 63, Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, or toward evening. you know, um, I take this meditation as meaning some type of prayer or long time with God. And, you know, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, camels were coming. And so there's a lot of faithfulness from everybody, like you mentioned, and everybody in everybody in this story. Um, including Isaac. And so obviously this is a story of two people coming together in union. And I think there's a lot of examples that we can glean from this kind of in our own paths to potentially marriage um, for many of us to ultimately take some of the lessons learned in this lesson, in this section, and apply that ultimately to our lives. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining us today. Super fun. I absolutely love this chapter. I think it's an amazing chapter. It's the longest chapter in Genesis. So for those of y'all who are like, they took way too long today. That's, this is a, this is, there's a lot of meat. There's a lot of meat in this soup. So, um, any final words? Yes. So, <clears throat> Something interesting in this chapter, there were no words from God to any of the characters. Like I know in other parts of Genesis, we see a very verbal dialogue between God and the characters. There were no words from God. And so mm -hmm. that speaks to this, these characters' faithfulness as well. 
And so sometimes the principle is that sometimes we don't see God maybe visibly active in our own lives. And that just because we don't maybe see him visibly active doesn't mean we shouldn't be still walking in faith and believing that he is behind the the circumstances and behind the working behind the scenes. And we see that the, the people in this story, this chapter, are prayerfully trusting God. And so one of the things, um, I don't know if, if the people watching this are familiar with Joni Erickson Tata. Um, I, I admire her a lot. She is a Christian. She was paralyzed um, in, in her past with something that she was doing. And so she has a ministry today working with, with people who are paralyzed. And I've read a lot of her, um, or, or some of her stuff. She's, she's produced a lot of written content. I've read some of her stuff and it's, it's very good. It's very helpful. It, you know, she talks a lot about suffering and the Christian life. And she definitely has a unique platform to talk about suffering. And I remember that I have a, I had a professor who talked about how he went to see Joni Erickson Tata speak about finding God's will for your life. And so he was really excited. And so Joni Erickson Tata had three points. And the first point was pray. And so my professor was like, uh, okay, seriously? Like, we all knew that. Okay, I want to hear like, you know, well, what's going to be the new information? Then her second point was read your Bible. And then he was like, what? You know, we know these things. But her third point was take the next step. And that's what he felt was really insightful. Obviously, the prayer and the Bible reading are, are crucial. But taking the next step, sometimes it's so hard to know, maybe in the moment, does God want me to go this way or that way? But that's where when we're, we're, we're prayerful, we're reading our Bibles, we're seeking uh, a God, we're talking with a godly mentor, we're getting godly advice, and we're using biblical discernment. Instead of maybe just waiting in one spot, I think there are times to take the next step. And I feel, I find in my own life when I am doing those things, pray, praying, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and I take the next step, God starts to work the path from there. Couldn't agree more. Well said. Well, the next step for everybody watching this video is to subscribe. And like this video if you liked it and hit the notification bell and also look in the description box. I know Joni Erickson Tata, it's kind of a complicated name. I remember when Justin first told me that I had no idea what, what he was talking about and I had to look it up. And so I'll, we'll put that in the description box as well. Thank you everybody. See you in the next chapter.